Welcome to the Rider Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. We're gonna need a bigger boat. And Larry Korea. Death. And I don't mean it metaphorically or rhetorically or poetically or theoretically or any other fancy way. I am death. Straight up. Today's episode, Monsters, Round 2. <laughs> Alright everybody, welcome back to the Rider Dojo. We're glad to have you back with us. So... On our last episode, we had to cut it a little short. It was our our first Monsters episode. And we were all excited to talk about it. We get in here, we're talking, we're getting into it. And we realized that that it was starting to snow really bad. And so Larry had to bail. And so our enthusiasm got cut short. So what we decided to do, uh, and we brought this up towards the end of the episode, we decided we were going to turn our our mutual love of monsters into two or three episodes longer than what we were going to kind of like we did with the with the uh the writing action ones at the start of the previous season so producer jack he uh he went online he went on facebook and he you know in our facebook group which if you didn't know we have a writer dojo facebook group it's awesome it's shockingly helpful um we don't put up with anyone's BS, uh, as we've as we've discussed uh, over the past few weeks. We are not your mom or dad. If you have a conflict with some other writer, allegedly. Uh, okay, I I am somebody's. I'm like four people's mom and, or dad. But um, I was gonna say I don't think you're anyone's mom. Well, I'm well, I'm four people's dad, but I'm no one in this groups. Well, actually, I'm, my daughter's in there. <sighs> okay, well, you get what I mean. <laughs> so, 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 producer Jack. Uh, within the Facebook group, which you should join if you haven't. Um, and we know there's a lot of you out there that dislike Facebook and blah, blah, blah. We don't care. Go in there, have fun, uh, you know, talk with people. We actually give really good writing advice within there. We have, we have a staggering number of actually really good professionals in there. A lot of really talented writers, a lot of really intelligent people, and a lot of debate. People debate stuff. People ask a lot of good questions, uh, get good answers. Yeah, and and not and and you'll get why a wide variety, a very diverse. Um, no, to use that word in in what it really means. The actual term, yeah, you know, the, the actual, actual term. definition, not um, appropriately not, political, right? Um, like an actual diverse set of answers from from different um, from different expertises, viewpoints, stuff like that. Yeah. It's awesome. So we got a bunch of monster questions. So from the monster group. questions. Jack asked the question, and we got some pretty good questions in here. Um, some pretty good questionary responses to his questions. Yeah, because last episode we talked a little bit about like monsters and why we like monsters, and we we actually had to kind of rush because yeah. I didn't want to die on the roads, and it was bad here, guys. We have like. So much snow, I have no place left to put it. It's, yeah, I'm so tired of snow. <laughs> I'm so tired of it. Live today's where like, I live. Today's like the first day of blue skies forever, and I'm like, I don't even know what to do anymore. We're in your recording. I know. All right. So monsters. Just a really brief recap. We love them. They're amazing. Um, there's all sorts of different uses for them. You don't have to be writing horror or urban fantasy or whatever, or one specific genre to include monsters. They can be in, they can be in anything you want them to be in. Well, yeah. And we also like, when we say monsters, I mean, there's no reason this can't be alien races on, uh, or on science fiction 
or anything else really. I mean, we're, I guess we're we could even go paranormal romance if you want if the conversation sure. goes that direction. But basically, it's a it's just a great storytelling tool. To, to kind of mix stuff up. And I know the last time we talked about some of our favorites and some of the ones we think have done right, done wrong, uh, how to do them. We're going to try to give you guys some nuts and bolts today. Uh, Monsters have paid for my house, so I am a pretty big fan. Uh, like Monster Hunter International, I write them all. Monsters so- have paid for my occasional brisket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's let's go. Let's see what these guys <laughs> got for us. All right. Test our limits. So... One of the questions, well, there's two questions, and, and one of them is, why don't we see monsters from other cultures used more? Well, that's an interesting one. Okay, here's the thing. Um, that's actually a really good one, but I, I, I'm going to have to expand that a little bit because I think some of us do use them. And I think if you're if you're populating your book and you're populating your universe with different monsters, um, go for it. If there's something from another culture that you want to use in your books, go for it. Like, for me... Monster Hunter International, I always have some weird thing. I, I've hit all the big main Western ones that we talked about last episode, vampires, zombies, werewolves, you know, yeah, so yeah. on and so forth. The normals, yeah. The big, the normal ones. Um, but I've gotten into some weird stuff. I've borrowed stuff from Filipino mythology, uh, Greek mythology, um, African mythology. I mean, I've gone, I, because I'm now, you know, 12 books into this series with the spinoffs and whatnot. Yeah, I've, got, I've, I've gone, like, out all over the world. I think part of the problem, too, for like a lot of people writing fantasy, they tend to limit themselves when they're creating a creature to, was it in the D&D monster manual? You know? That's fair. That's fair. But I don't think people should limit themselves. No. If you're stealing from mythology and you're stealing from folklore, go nuts. You know, I saw in the Facebook group the other day, someone was talking about, um, it had something, I don't remember the exact the exact quote of it, but they were talking about how if they were writing stuff like like a story that was based upon a, a different culture, um, like what should they do? How should they do it? Blah, blah, blah. Now, specifically, I think we see a lot of, we tend to see most fantasy uh, te- kind of has that, that European-ish setting. Yeah, right? it tends to have a European vibe. Right. And so a lot of the, the, the creatures or monsters that you see tend to be fairly reflective mm-hmm. of that. Whereas if we go, if we, if we look at, at other cultures, um, if you're basing your story, whether we're talking fantasy, urban fantasy, whatever, on a different culture, then it seems to me that you really should be using the craziness and the creatures from, from that era, yeah. from that area. So, you know, um, like uh, Son of the Black Sword, right? Mm-hmm. Very Indian. Yeah. And so... Um, you know the demons that are coming from the from the from the oceans and stuff. I actually, kind of went little xenomorphy. Exactly. Uh, you know, you're, we're we're going that way, or or even so, kind of a wild divergence from it's it's myth- not European, yeah, so to mythology, speak, yeah, you know, quote unquote. Um, you know, if if I was setting a story in Mexico, pure straight up Mexico, yeah. um, I would pull mainly from, you know, like like Aztec-y sort of things or, or creatures like that. And, yeah. I, and I know you, you did that in, in, uh, in bloodlines. Yeah. So Steve actually lived in Mexico for a while. So I figure like, Oh, I'm working on the next monster hunter. I, I do actually get into like Mayan and Aztec pantheon. Uh, I'll probably bounce and some stuff off you to make sure that I'm getting, uh, my, my getting, getting it right. Yeah. Uh, not, not that you're an expert on this, but at least you speak the language. So you can read yeah. the original source documents and make sure I didn't screw it up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, no, I, uh, I've, I've borrowed heavily from South American stuff and some books. Also too, is like, where's the book take place? I think that's it. Like I logistically, it. what makes sense? I've had scenes from Monster Hunter in probably a dozen different countries now. And I have borrowed different creatures from different myth for each one. Okay. So, so I'm going to riff off of that really quick because the next question was how can a writer find a, find a fresh perspective on the presentation of a monster in their story. So we're talking about some of these common monsters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, well, to us, maybe they're a little common. To other people, maybe they're not quite as common. But how are we taking some of those, how do we take some of these common tropes, so to speak, and make them our own? That's an interesting question because I, I actually, okay, I have two diametrically opposed ways of doing this. Mm-hmm. So first off, there's the monsters that I play straight. Like I leave, I leave them to the standard interpretation, like standard cultural interpretation. Like when I started doing Monster Hunter, I did vampires as vampires, like straight up evil, bloodthirsty, killer, predators of the night, powerful creatures, right? I went, I went old school Dracula level power monsters, right? There was other creatures I decided to take a different tack and kind of like twist them to give it a unique perspective. Not just monsters, but I did elves and orcs, gnomes, minotaurs. These are all things that are known, but I decided to give them a unique perspective. And how did I make it my own? I just did something other people hadn't done. I just like, so that's why I have trailer park elves. I have heavy metal uh, orcs. I have uh, ghetto gnomes. I have uh, Texas bullmen or minotaurs. And basically, so it's just a, it's my own thing. And so... For me, some half of the fun with a monster, when a monster shows up in one of my books, in a Monster Hunter novel, is the monster going to play play it straight and be the kind of thing you expect it to be? But, yeah, usually. But, about one monstrous race per book that I introduced turns out to be something odd. Yeah. But it's something really obvious. So like when I had trolls, when I finally introduced trolls... They're internet trolls. Like, quite literally, that's what they do for fun. They get mm-hmm. on the internet, and they're just awful. They're just awful, awful creatures. And uh, they, they, they elite speak, right? That's how they communicate. And uh, I did that. It was hilarious, you know? But I can't do that with every monster, because then it becomes trite. If every monster is... If every monster is twisted off the the uh, off of the original compass, then what's the point, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because... Well, then they're not the monsters anymore. They're not special anymore. Exactly. But like I did Mr. Trashbags, the Shawgoth. What I did there is I just one individual monster. So most Shawgoths, I went straight up with the Lovecraftian uh, giant uh, blob of destruction, terrifying blob of destruction. And he uh, still is. He still is. Just not with one person. Yeah. So what I have, there's one that actually loves a human being and will and is basically the most loyal companion you, you could ever ask for. Uh, he's just a giant, you know, puppy. Just uh, a giant mo- can, amorphous tentacled eyeball that mouth can puppy. instantly kill you with yeah. his tentacles of death um but that was mr trash bags right so so but i still kept shoggoths as a terrifying entity so i don't know it's a fine line there guys i would say don't overdo it uh because if you're gonna just co- completely throw everything out about the monster uh then then it's not even really that monster anymore if you throw everything out that's why I think a lot, I think Twilight offended a lot of horror movie purists. Like like okay, young girls and uh, lonely moms, and uh, you know the, the 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 romance crowd they love Twilight. So a lot of cops, I'm not following that, but but to all us horror movie people and monster book people, we see Twilight and to us it's an affront because that ain't a vampire, right? That right. they threw out everything that makes a vampire a vampire. No, I'm I'm expecting either Dracula or Thirty Days of Night. 
Yeah, see, uh, 30 Days of Night was an interesting one because they took the vampire thing and, man, they made it feral. savage. They're feral. Yeah. And it was awesome. Like, with the, like oh my gosh, that, that was actually a pretty dang good movie. Yeah, it's not bad. And actually, uh, from pretty close to the comic book. Yeah. Yeah, like, pr- pretty dang close. So that's one that, like, they, they took the existing monster traits and for that spin on that monster accentuated the viciousness and the savagery of it. And it still made sense within the context. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, because the whole idea is they're going up to that that one. Uh, I can't. I can never remember what it's called, but Barrow Barrow Alaska. Yeah, <clears throat> and he. I was talking with Brennan about this the other day. Hey, he's worked up there. Yeah, but anyway, we're you know, it's if you think about it, if you were a whole bunch of vampires, I mean, that's totally the place I would go. Well, the way like it, it makes sense. The way it sets it know? up is this is a vampire party. Yeah, that's that's really what it is. It's like it's just a vampire celebration of, of carnage, and that's what they're doing, and that's what the movie does. And it man, it works! Like holy crap, it works. So one of the things that I do, um, you'll see this. You see this in my uh, in my Jack Bishop series and Residue, and then and in Parasite, which should be coming out here in the next few months, I think. Um, I take traditional monsters say your werewolves, your vampires, your zombies, whatever. And then I, I apply weird science to them. So in pair in, in, uh, in residue, one of the main thing is they're, they're going after this, this leech. They call it the leech within the, in the book. It's just a vampire. It's just a psychic vampire. It's all it is, but I science it up a little bit. Yeah. And I, and, and I do the same thing. I, I refer to these, these creatures within it called the hounds. They're just werewolves. And I specifically say they were created by taking werewolf DNA and threading it into humans, like, and adding some weird science to it. So I kind of get the the best of both worlds. I get to say and play with traditional monsters, but then I get to change them because mankind definitely would if we could. Pfizer would. Pfizer, absolutely. Pfizer's probably doing it right now. Yeah, yeah, no joke. I'm waiting for that Project Veritas video. Jeez. <laughs> so it's it's interesting, right? We're like, not really making werewolves. I was just trying to impress my date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could do a hilarious story of Project Veritas videos going horribly wrong. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Get that camera out of my face. <laughs> so it's, you know, when you have these... When you have these very traditional monsters, there is a certain, um, a, a fairly large portion, I think, of the readership or the viewership that they want at least a part of that creature to be familiar. Yeah. You know, they need something to anchor it down. Yeah, you can't diverge too far because then right. you, you kind of lose, you lose the or, script. Yeah, exactly. At, at a certain point, you're not, it's not that monster anymore. Yeah. And so I think that that's the thing. So to answer these questions, I think the freshness or the fresh perspective of it has to do with you. It has to do with the story that you're telling, the setting in which you're telling it and the characters involved. Um, you know, like, like for, for werewolf cop, he's just a werewolf, right? He's a werewolf. Yeah. But the fresh perspective isn't necessarily the monster aspect. It's what does the human part of him do? Well, he's a detective. And then 
uh, I, I, and the reason this is on my mind, I just edited that story for, for you and Casey the other night. I got it. I haven't read it yet. I'm very excited. It's very good. That's, a, that's in my pile I um, just received. I got yours and Hinckley's. I, towards the end, I, I go through the whole, like the transformation process and I wrote it to be as violent as possible. And Casey's comment was, and there's the horror author. Casey said it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. It was on the note. And it has, it has a really, really good ending. But cool. anyway, cool. the whole point is you don't necessarily have to be crazy and unique with all aspects of it. Think about what the monster means, what it is. You can twist one small aspect of it, and oftentimes that's enough, or give it a unique spin. So again, a werewolf is a werewolf, but if your werewolf is also a detective, that's the unique spin. Yeah, some of mine I didn't change anything physically, any no. physical trait about the creature. I just changed the culture it lived in. Mm-hmm. You know, and that made it that made it unique. Exactly. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back. We're gonna answer some more questions. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody. Okay. Next question, Larry. How do you make the human monster scarier than the traditional ones? Now, this is a cool question. Because th- this always this comes back to what I always talk about, where um, uh, uh, the point of a lot of monster movies and such is that they try to point out how much worse humans are than the actual monster. Yeah, it's Frankenstein, and um, I mean, shoot, even Common even culture. I Am Legend kind of goes down that route, yeah. or or part of part of Alien even mm, touches on Burke, this. Mo- yeah. the corporations most um, zombie apocalypse movies tend always. to fall in that they trap they always fall in this line uh, here's the thing it could be good it could be bad mm-hmm. when I say bad it could be the kind of thing like wo- like Walking Dead which I don't watch but I've just heard people You're not complain. missing anything yeah where everybody is just a horrible person and no one like people never get their crap together because they're all just busy being dummies and murderous dorks and that's not really human nature um now, if you do want to do the the human is more villainous than the monster, that's easy. All you got to do is you got to get the monster and the human in the same story and have the monster be terrifying in one way, but then have the human be terrifying in a different way. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that's, that's really all it comes down to. And, that, and yeah. that sounds trite, but like when I did Stricken in Monster Hunter, I made this, people hate this guy. They hate, hate, hate him because he is the ultimate chest bastard, master manipulator, three steps ahead of everyone else, screwing with people, dirtbag. I mean, he manipulates the monsters. Yeah. This guy manipulates f- uh, fairy queens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and this guy, this guy is just, uh, he, he's just that. But so it is, it, and so how do I make him scarier? I mean, that dude's terrifying. Like he's literally terrifying because a lot of times it's just like, he's so freaking manipulative and you don't know what's coming from him and you don't know why he's doing what he's doing, but there always seems to be a logic to it. I think, I think it comes down to, for me anyway, it comes down to preying on different fears. So monsters prey upon, um, very specific types of fears, fear of like, well, you know, let's talk about alien, right? Fear of being taken over. Um, you know, fear of what's in the dark, fear of the unknown, all, all of those things, you know, the, the, and then loss of control, the body horror of it, mm-hmm. um, loss of self, the human within there, they're not scary because of those things. They're scary because, you know, the Weyland-Yutani, right? Why are they scary? Well, 
giant unfeeling mega corporation that uses people, feeds them to monsters and then harvests the tissue. Yeah. Like they're, they're completely different types of fear. And, and I think if you have a human and a monster within the same story, both preying on the same type of fear, you're going to have problems, right? Because they kind of blend together. And then at that point it's like, well then why, why, why do you have both? It'd be like a werewolf movie with a serial killer in it. You know, they're both kind of doing the same thing, just slightly different. Right. Um, you know what's an issue? I want to think on that. I just thought of this, but the 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 old movie Pitch Black. Oh yeah, the Riddick with movies? Riddick, the first yeah. Riddick movie, where Riddick is the prisoner, and actually is scarier than the monsters, and then, then he turns into the antihero during the movie. But that first Riddick movie was actually pretty legit. Yeah. Because you had these terrifying monsters, you know, the whole echolocation creatures, mm-hmm. but then you had this one crazy dude with knives. Was scarier than well, the monsters, and, and the thing the thing about him too is he has the he has the the raw instincts of the creatures, but he also thinks. Yeah, and and so a lot of times in these situations, the way that the the way that the human becomes scarier is because it isn't just acting by instinct like a lot of monsters do, or that we portray them as you know subject to their urges and baser instincts. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, no, no, they, they know what the right decisions are. Yeah. They choose to be horrible. Well, Dr. Frankenstein is the original, right? Correct. Okay, but he's yeah. playing God, does, you know, creates horrible abominations, and the, the monster is not really the monster. Mm-hmm. You know, the, whole, the old joke of you know, Frankenstein's not the monster, he's Frankenstein's monster, but actually Frankenstein is the monster. Yeah. And, and, and so there's that. And then there's other ones like the, the, the mad scientist uh, creates the horrible creature and who's really the horrible. And that's the whole Frankenstein trope over and over again. Those are honestly, there's a million different ways to do that. Um, I, I think it just can be story dependent. I think so. And as long as you have a strong enough character with understandable motivations, and they, they don't have to be completely understandable, but you have to elude to mo- uh, understandable motivations. You can't have somebody who's just like super, super evil for no discernible reason. Cause then it's like, why, 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 why is this doesn't make any sense? Why is, well, so the monster's eating the townsfolk and this one guy's feeding the, mon- you know, feeding townsfolk to the monster. Why? Why? There's got to be a reason. Now, if you can come to a compelling reason, uh, you know, that's that's the pact he made with the old ones, then all of a sudden it's yeah. like, whoa, okay. Yeah, or there's some sort of sympathy for the devil complex within there or, or something. Or, those, or, or you lines. can even, I've seen them where they've done evil but sympathetic. The reason he's feeding the townsfolk to the monster is he's actually trying to find a cure for his daughter who was the sure. first monster, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah. It, it, it can, you can spin this a hundred different ways. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's actually a good question. That's an yeah. interesting writing challenge. All right. So um, one of the questions talks about the difference of treating monsters um, and writing monster encounters when in two scenarios where the monster isn't they're, – they're not known or accepted versus they're a standard part of life. So think oh, yeah. about – Think about, you know, um, your standard monster movie versus something like, say, Charlene Harris's... True Blood. True Blood. Or right? where vampires, everyone knows vampires exist. Yeah, and there's, there's like product marketing to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, so I, the question is how do you, um, see, what is the difference in writing monster encounters in those situations? Oh, that's really interesting. I think it's just going to be a question of, of mystery and familiarity. Because mm-hmm. even if the monsters are real and you know they're real... How familiar are you? Are you? Do you see them on TV, or do you have them living next door? 
So think about it this way too, and and this will this will be a kind of a. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I was gonna use one specific analogy, but I'm I'm gonna switch. I'll I'll make this more fun. Um, accountants, okay. <laughs> accountants are often considered monsters in this world. Um, so misunderstood. So misunderstood. Many of us are so sexy. Um, oh, not so. paranormal romance. <laughs> <laughs> but accounts exist, right? But how many of you actually know the ins and the outs of what accountants do and how they work? Okay. Now, transplant that to what you were saying with monsters. Yes, they exist in that scenario, say. But how much do you really know about them? Mm-hmm. Um, I would think that that in the public consciousness, there would be, you know, propaganda for or against that would be warring within a person's encounter. Um, you know, uh, typical fear, xenophobia, um, that all, all the normal stuff that we already deal with on a yeah. day-to-day basis. There's a lot of interesting movies that have done, um, like Fido, where they did the zombie apocalypse, post-apocalypse, where they got the zombies reined in. And now they're like using the zombies for like gardening and whatnot and household <laughs> servants. There, there are some different weird ones like that. There's like the end of uh, Shaun of the Dead. Right. You know what I mean? When they're playing video games together again. And mm-hmm. like literally nothing's changed for the one character. Yeah. Um, but you, there's a, honestly, there's a bunch of different ways you can tackle that. And I think it just kind of depends on your world building and like what the monsters are too. Are they monsters that can cohabitate with human beings successfully or are they monsters that are still deadly and scary and going to eat people? Yeah. You know? So, so the question is, it's known there's a wide, there's a wide thing there. Cause like, here's the thing. We, we have evil, scary human beings in the world right now. So the question is like, what kind of story? Well, it depends. Am I, if I'm writing a story about terrorism and I'm like, you know, in Syria, it's a different story than I'm watching it on the news and it's a faraway distant thing. But then if it comes here and, and, and comes to your town and something blows up, then all of a sudden it's a different kind of story. You well, know? yeah. And, and, you know, the same thing with say serial killers, you know, it's, it's yeah. one thing to, to read accounts of, you know, Gacy and Bundy and stuff like that and Dahmer, but it's a whole nother thing. Um, to talk with people who had firsthand experience, yeah, um, or or had that, or ha- you know, have it be in their backyard. Well, going back to the humans as monsters thing, we have we live in a world with violent crime is all around. I mean, I just wrote a, a book about the Second Amendment and gun rights. Yeah. What's that I, book called, Larry? In defense of the Second Amendment, Steve. <laughs> on bookstores, on bookshelves, and bookstores, and also an audiobook, and doing rather well. Yeah. But okay, back to you. But I just wrote this book. I had to get all these crime stats. There are human monsters amongst us everywhere now, but we have places in our country where where how you deal with them is much more commonplace than others. So we have most of America is actually really super safe. And you'll be like, yeah, I know there's criminals. I know there's murderers and I'm prepared for murderers and I'm defending myself. Then you got people who live in a place that's murder central. Their concept of it's going to be much different because they're closer, more visceral. This is a daily kind of thing. It's like when you, uh, there's places that you were in Mexico mm-hmm. that like there is no American equivalent. No. You know, there's just not an, I mean, you literally have Sicario gun trucks mm-hmm. driving down the street and it's just like, these yeah, are the there's, guys. There's no, there's no, um, equivalent for pyramids of heads. In America. Yeah. Like literally head pyramids, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so it's one of those things. It's like, I, I, so I think honestly, there's no limit to the kind of story that could be told. And it's cause we got real life analogies to that. Well, and, and the cool thing about that is, um, again, you know, we're not just, what I talked about towards the, at the top of the show, we're not just talking about one genre. I mean, you can take these encounters, um, whether overt or in secret, 
And, you know, do you want to tell a horror story? Totally cool. What about a comedy? Absolutely. Um, you know, science fiction? Definitely. Western, we talked about Western a couple episodes back. You can you can tackle all this the same way. Yeah. I mean, so, I follow Shane Hensley on Facebook from uh, Pinnacle from yeah. Savage Worlds, and he's currently touring the Northwest because he's doing a new uh, expansion for Savage Worlds Deadlands for Wendigos. Nice. <laughs> I do love a good Wendigo story. And when he, when he posted that, I was like, dude, you realize, and he's, he's traveling around, I was like, dude, you realize this is how like, a lot of found footage horror movies start, right? There's a post like this. Say, <laughs> so we saw antlers. We know how this ends for you, buddy. <laughs> I haven't seen Antlers yet. Dude, it's awesome. I heard it's good. I heard it's good. You told me it was good. That's why I heard it. So, another question here for you, Larry. And um, I'm going to read this one, but um, I don't want to answer it specifically with the monster that's referenced here. It says, how would you write Godzilla without it being Godzilla? So, the idea idea here is something that's so big, so... um, uh, and, I, and I don't just mean in, in literal size, but metaphorically speaking, yep. something that's so ingrained within the public consciousness. How do you write something like that without? Uh, I have without done, it being like, oh, this is Godzilla, which is ironic because I've written so dang many things now that immediately I thought of three different projects where I've written a kaiju monster. I know uh, of various I'm, sizes. I've, I've written that too. Yeah, ironically. Okay, so. And I know, yeah, you very specifically have, yeah, be, that, um, was, that was twice. Your, that yeah. was your Hugo nomination even. That was, that was my woo. Yeah. Your For flirt, all the good that did. Your flirt with fame there and dude, fortune. Dude, that, you, you know how much money I've made just because of that single Hugo nomination, Larry? $7? Nothing. Oh, <laughs> I, was, I, I was hoping it'd be at least enough to get like a Subway no. foot long. Um, well, six inch. <laughs> yeah, inflation's a bitch. All right, so in Spellbound, at the end of Spellbound, I have a giant monster fight across Washington, D.C. And how did I do Godzilla without doing Godzilla? Okay, this was actually an extra-dimensional creature uh, imprisoned by the, the husk of a man who uh, who can control extra-dimensional monsters. Only this extra-dimensional monster he summoned was the biggest, scariest one ever, and it took over. And now that fight was awesome because this thing grows out of the Potomac. It's insanely terrifying. It's gigantic. It's and a good I, thing you had that telekinetic there named Steve Diamond. He was actually there. He was in the scene because he was Heck on the yeah. battle at Roosevelt Island before we sucked Roosevelt Island through a portal into another dimension. Okay, there's a lot of stuff to unpack here if you haven't read the books. But what I did is I created basically a giant kaiju monster. It was, it was this extra-dimensional demon creature who rampages across DC. And the reason I did this was because originally the finale of the book didn't have this. But I had this character, I had this type of monster, and I'd experiment with this a little bit, but I hadn't introduced to a really, really big, scary one yet. That said, the original finale of the book wasn't punchy enough, and I needed something bigger. So I came back, and I went super big on this. And part of that was accentuating the super big. Plus, this story took, the book takes place in 1934, which was the year that King Kong came out. So, that was the original oh, American kaiju. You're right. It is, yeah. And when I realized that, that this is book 34, I was like, I have to have a giant kaiju monster scene because it's 1934 Godzilla. So, or I'm sorry, King Kong. So I actually have the monster climb up the Washington Monument while swatting down biplanes. Yeah. And so straight up, went, I went there, went King Kong, only this thing was nuts. And now how did I actually write it? The immensity of it. And, and what I tried to accentuate for the characters dealing with this thing was just the mind-boggling immensity of it. I, I Google-earthed the area. Um, because I had never, at the time I wrote this, I hadn't yet I'd been to Washington, D.C. in the mall. I had actually been there repeatedly since. Um, 
I'm sure I was on camera the entire time because mm. the facial recognition software, they're like, yes. oh, it's this guy. Um, but That'll get you kicked out of places now. Which is ironic because I might be going back there for business. Super weird. But I can't talk about that yet, but that'll be really weird because I might be doing something weird. Okay, never mind. <laughs> me, me and politics, that's a weird thing. Okay, but um, I, 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 I use Google Earth to get a, a sense of the skies and scale and, and also the landmarks, which I could move around because of historic, because it's a historical um, alternate history. And just for the character's perspective, wherever I had the characters, I always had them oriented on where the monster was at any given time and the and the vastness of it. I had the characters moving a whole lot too, and the di- and the effort that they had to move, the distances that the creature moved in an instant, helped accentuate the vastness of it. That's good. That that's really cool, actually. Yeah. So that was one thing too. I, I, so I was actually proud of that. But I and I don't draw attention to that. But that's one of the things in there. Also. Um, what I got into, too, is the destruction that they had to move through that it caused. Because you have something that big, it's just going to destroy everything. There was also, um, I, I grew up in California. I've been through a few earthquakes. I, I turned that up to 11, right? Because if you have something like, you know, just the square cube law. No, no pun intended. <laughs> I mean, these things don't work in real life because of the because the mass that's coming down every time. But you're basically looking at, you know, eight, nine earthquakes for everybody in the immediate vicinity every time oh, this yeah. thing wiggles, yeah. right? Um, and so... I had just this crazy sequence there. And then to top it off, I had it actually, you know, fighting a naval dirigible. Um, And so that one, I went like just whole hog action scene vastness of it, you know. And and I did a bunch of little tricks like like the distance, the time to accentuate noise, sound. Uh, Accentuated the sound a lot. In what way? Um, just, Just if you have something that massive... As it moves, just the amount of noise it would make. And so I made communication purposefully difficult for the characters that were trying to fight it. Plus, I was dealing with a couple characters who were, like, literally superhuman. So they are able to get up on this thing and fight. Um, and so I had a lot of fun with that. Plus, because it was a 1930s thing, with a, it was a historical, I was able to, like, like afterwards... Get little bits for like news coverage because I was the one remember I had like they got this really amazing black and white photo of Heinrich, right. um, yeah, uh, fighting the thing with a he's like stabbing it with a pickaxe and just like doesn't do anything he's just getting flung off into the distance. Um, I had my super Japanese power armor guy challenge it to fight just get flicked, <laughs> flicked yeah. into flicked across the city. Um, no, so I actually have a lot of fun with that one. Uh, the other ones I did a giant kaiju one was uh, Great Sea Beast, mm-hmm. which was actually from uh, our from our role playing game campaign. Yeah, yes, yeah. so we actually stole this. Um, so we did an L five R campaign. One of the characters, his whole thing was he needed to kill the Great Sea Beast, uh, which was like a basically giant water kaiju that had killed his father. And we had this great role playing session, and then I needed to hurry up and write a short story with a giant monster in it for an anthology. So I totally stole that scene from a role playing game. So if you read Great it's, Sea Beast, it's funny how we've done that. Which is an award-winning story, by the way, because it was one of those best of anthologies where it's blind judging, where they get judges and they like pick, they, they don't tell them who wrote the story, but there's the best stories of the year and they pick the best stories of the year. Great Sea Beast was one of their picks for the great stories of the year. And the funny thing is the judges all hate me yeah. and said that I was a terrible, awful writer, no good. And then they, then they picked one of my stories out of the thing as one of the best of the year. So I, I take great ironic pride in that. <laughs> um that was interesting because that was a watery thing, and so I had to get a little more like boat oriented and how like 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 it's just stuff like like it's it's creating its own currents, you know, yeah. as as it's moving. Um, and geez, what was the other one? I had another one. I I, well, I did another kaiju. Oh, um, the giant monster fight in uh, um, Tokyo Raider. Yeah, 
Because that one I got to go... That one was different because the perspective was all... The point of view was from one guy driving a giant Mecha Gundam battle robot. World War II era Mecha Gundam battle robot. I guess that... So, man, there are so many different ways you could do it. Just all comes down to perspective, your point of view characters. Yeah. The the story that, that I wrote um, called A Single Samurai, that one... That, that was a really big kaiju. It's a, it's a huge one, right? It's like the size of basically a mountain. Yeah, I went like like I went like big Godzilla King Kong size stuff. Steve went it's a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> Steve went it's a great old one. Yeah, and and the whole perspective to to your point, Larry, the whole perspective is from one guy who's climbing it and on his way he's trying to figure out, okay, how the frick do I kill this thing? Um and and one of the things that I use also is is just to show how big it is. Like he can see forever yeah. from on top of it. And when he looks backwards, he just sees just this trail of devastation behind it. Like like that country, that part of that country isn't going to recover from this. You reprinted that in your collection, right? It is, it is. It's in my um, What Hell Hounds Dream. Yeah, collection. so if you guys want to read this story, it's in that. It, it, it recommended. Very good story. Yeah, that was, it was supposed to be in an anthology, speaking of, you know, predatory uh, uh, publishers from a few episodes ago that was supposed <laughs> to be in a collection from one of those people. Mm. And then um, they forgot to invite me. <laughs> um, I'd written it and and I asked them, like, hey, when does this thing do? And they're like, oh, it's full. Sorry. Then you sold it to Bane. Though, so right? then I asked Bane and Bane bought it. Um, yeah. So that was awesome. Anyway, my, I think that was actually my first story published with Bane. Oh, cool. Good story. Yeah. But if you guys want to read one that's just a, a good kaiju story for just the sheer immensity, yeah. uh, it was actually really good. Because honestly, it was like, the, the guy was, and that one is interesting because you had it where, the way I read it, it wasn't really, like I was writing like an action scene where they're fighting a monster. Yours, they were fighting a force of nature. Yeah. And it, it's much more introspective. Yeah. Um, because the, the main character, I mean, he's one dude. He's one samurai. How do you how do you fight nature? Well, and it's a journey story too. Yes, because the monster is so big, he has to climb. He's it. climbing it. Yeah. yeah, he's climbing the monster to yeah. kill it. Somehow. So it's so it's a journey story. Yeah, and and so I th- I think the point here is, um, we've done it so very differently. Yeah, you know, again, again, what we always talk about, Larry, the same topic, but come at coming at it from wildly divergent aspects you, you know, know i actually really like the movie cloverfield dude i do too i love i that really movie. like cloverfield i'll be honest because it, it, it actually tackled this with a really unique perspective because it just did the heads up and the guy was named hud yeah heads up display yeah um actually the star of that was uh mike vogel who's a yeah great guy yeah. Cool, cool actor well and it i mean that's, very underrated dude that's that might be my favorite found footage movie oh yeah it's a great flick but that was a really good one because if you look at all the different tricks they do in that one cinematically because they had like different levels of adventure and then the monster was just such a great big threat. And a lot of times you didn't even see the monster because it's six blocks away, but you could just hear it and see this, you know, chaos. Well, I mean, that first scene where the, you know, the head of the Statue of Liberty comes flying yeah. down the road, like, what? It's, awesome. <laughs> it's great. It's great. And that was a movie too. They did a good job not revealing a lot uh, when the in the advertising before the movie came out. Because I remember when I saw it, I had no idea. Yeah, I just remember I heard something like it's a monster flick, and then I saw it and I was like, "Wow, okay, this is this is that's, pretty this honestly, is pretty baller." Outside of God's like straight up Godzilla, that's probably the best Godzilla movie out there. Yeah, yeah. So I I, I think there's there's and probably, I actually like the most recent Godzilla movies. 
Uh, I watched Godzilla vs. Kong and enjoyed it. I had a good time. They're fun. Yeah, it was They're fun. Turn off your brain, have fun. It was silly and cheesy and yeah. stupid and don't think about it too hard, no. but honestly, I enjoyed it. But yeah, I mean, and then the one before that where you got to see all of the different Godzilla monsters. I didn't Dude. watch that one. You didn't? I haven't Godzilla seen Godzilla King of the Monsters? I haven't seen it. Dude, it's pretty awesome seeing all of those, like, like Ghidorah in, and stuff like that, seeing them all in, like, modern graphics. It's I'm behind in rad. my Godzilla. I, I did watch the Godzilla before that had Brian Cranston in it briefly. That was that. That one was that. And it had, actually, the, the main hero was an EOD guy, which Mike Cooper found was hilarious because, like, the guy it did- was terrible. Yeah, EOD and did, like, literally nothing. That he was, set something on fire. That was his entire yeah. contribution. It's like, just so you guys know, guys, explosive ordnance disposal techs, they spend, like, millions of dollars training him so the guy could basically hit a monster with a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> yeah, that's literally what happens. Yeah, I learned how to do that when I was, like, 10. My, I think I think the biggest, <laughs> I think my biggest problem with that movie, to, to tie this all back around to monsters and stuff, is- um, they don't show enough of it. Yeah. Because it's all in the dark the whole time. You can't see it, it was or a, the other It was monsters. a human drama movie with some monsters in it I, as opposed to a monster movie. If I'm, if I'm watching a giant Godzilla monster movie, I want to see Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time I was talking to Bob Defendi and he said that was really interesting to me and he was talking about some space alien invasion movie and it was just a bunch of people hiding in an apartment during a space alien invasion and you never actually, they just sit there, they hide in an apartment. Well, that was Skyline. Skyline, yeah. And I guess, I guess maybe something happens at the very end. I didn't watch it, but Bob, at one point Bob said that he watched a bunch of Marines run by outside and they're going to go fight the monsters, but they just, you watch the Marines go in the distance and disappear. And Bob said, that's the movie I want to watch. Well, he could. It was called Battle L.A. Yeah, and actually liked Battle L.A. That was actually a pretty good flick. <laughs> All right. We're going to uh, we're gonna call this one. There's still some more questions. And if you notice, we kind of focused this episode on existing creatures and whatnot. So in the third episode of our, of our trilogy here, so to speak, we're going to focus more on, like, creating new weird monsters and those kind of, kind of questions. So that'll be what that'll be what our next episode's about. But again, thank you guys so much for tuning in today on the Writer Dojo, and we appreciate all your questions. Um, there, there, some great questions, of course. Um, a lot of you asked mainly about you know, question er, uh, about monsters and taking them into um, different you know taking different cultures and their monsters and integrating them and making them feel unique but but still having that similar vibe so that's kind of what we focused on for this one the next one we got something actually kind of cool that's new and yeah, unique all new creating unique from stuff, scratch you know and, and we've both done that as well so um look forward to that episode but again thank you guys so much um thank you everyone for listening to us we appreciate it and uh yeah that's it for us for, for today we'll see you on the next one writer dojo is steve diamond and larry korea Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writer dojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. So misunderstood. So misunderstood. Many of us are so sexy.